This episode has a lot of background sound, so if you experience ASMR, you may very well enjoy this episode because it may give you an audio orgasm, uh, I think is what has been described as the experience of. Um, so hopefully some of you guys will enjoy that background sound. Other people may have less enjoyment and less tolerance for background sound, so if you're one of those people, be prepared to put the work in like you have to sometimes when you're in a conversation you have to struggle to hear over the background noise of the world and this episode is an example of that getting better acquainted captures my guests in a moment of time and it also captures me in a moment of time and i feel like a little bit more context might explain for regular listeners or first-time listeners just where i was at when i was recording this conversation so I experience anxiety and depression and this conversation was recorded on a day when I was feeling pretty depressed. Uh, Often doing a Getting Better Acquainted conversation can pull me out of that but I don't think it quite has in this conversation listening back to it. This was recorded right back at the start of the process of me putting together my solo show What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity which you can find out more about at www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. Because of that I was very much immersed in my own life, my own past my traumatic experiences in my childhood and I was kind of going over and over and over those in my head all the time because I was creating a piece of work about them. That's also reflected in this conversation. So this is an episode where I talk a lot. That's some context for why I was talking a lot and where I was coming from when I was talking. I chose two things in primary school. One was my handwriting, one was my voice. Because in year three, we had this French girl who just moved over and she had this fantastic leafy handwriting. And I was like, clearly that that's a great thing to have. So I made the choice to have a leafy handwriting and obviously now it's natural for me. Always like the way it goes is... Uh... You pick a, a quiet spot and immediately that's where everybody goes to like, who comes through the door. So you can't really win. We'll see. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Darcy. Hello Darcy. Hello. Yeah, the first question I ask everybody is how do you know me? I know you through helping out at Stand Up Tragedy, which I kind of got into through ever. Yeah. So Stand Up Tragedy kind of, I guess is what I consider phase two of the organisation, but who, who the hell cares about that? We sort of got to a point where we were looking to get volunteers involved who might be students and so it might be useful for them for their CV and all of the these complicated issues though that go with that right about you know when is a volunteer an intern should you pay people how can you pay people if you don't have the money to pay people are we giving people enough so phase two was an interesting position for me because I felt like there were quite a few people who were in the organisation but I couldn't tell any of them what to do because they were all volunteering their time and so who am I to ask for more, right? And you were kind of in that phase for me of really cool people who it was really enjoyable to have in the team but who, yeah, who uh, I was very aware that their actual lives were a bit too busy to give the volunteering that they kind of wanted to, I guess is how I felt like you might be. No, definitely. And it was nice, like, even though it was only a few occasions, but... It's nice, got a free, awesome show out of it. Right, right, yeah. I mean, that was what I'd hoped would be the, the, at least I could give people that, yeah. In terms of that, though, I mean, even though you've helped out and even though I've met you quite a few times and sort of I'm your Facebook friend, so that means that we also see other parts of each other's opinions and lives that we wouldn't necessarily normally see. Apart from those things, I don't really know you at all. No. Um, I was thinking about this on the way here. And the funny thing is, you know, these conversations kind of come through to a certain extent. How I, you know, what I know of the person is how I know what areas I might talk about. Yeah. So I know these kind of very specific few things about you. 
and then there's all of the rest of you that's over the other side that I have no idea what it's about. So I guess in some ways this conversation is going to be slightly me fishing around and trying to find yeah. out <laughs> what you're about, which makes it very, very much like an actual moment when you get better acquainted with somebody, you know. So hopefully that'll that'll be a strong strong thing in the conversation, but we'll see. Uh, right. Yeah, so the second question that I ask everybody is what do you do now? So now I am a journalism student at the University of Westminster. I was meant to graduate last year, but I didn't quite finish because kind of got a bit ill and tired and kind of didn't get the grades I wanted to, so I'm doing an extra year. Uh, on top of that, trying desperately to get any internship I can. Right. Skill the CV. And um, working at a car dealership as a receptionist on the weekends. Those jobs we sort of take as what we might think of as day jobs or ways to make some money yeah. in life can be a sort of strange thing to be in right because yeah. I, I mean are, are you I've been in sort of similar-ish jobs I mean I've worked in call centres and I've, I've I've worked in libraries for years which is a public service job which I don't know if there's a difference there's, there is a difference but th- there are elements of working in a library that do feel like working in a supermarket or yeah. possibly even car dealership I don't know what that's like <laughs> but I mean that's the thing like are you sort of surrounded by people who some of the people there it's their full-time job that they kind of have settled for or have found their way into and then you're like an interloper that's yeah very much it's weird I mean I've, I've always done retail alongside kind of sixth form and uni since I was 16 and then I stopped to focus on my dissertation and um, I just put my CV on read and I got recruited for this job so I don't really know anything about it it was a advertised as customer experience host for a very prestigious brand right. don't tell me what the brand was but yeah it's it's weird it's a mix of people I mean it's very separate like there's a there's a small weekend reception team of four people and then there's obviously kind of all the salesmen all salesmen and women are very separate to the reception team but amongst the people there it's weird it's because for some people it is like one woman I know she works seven days a week like she has a job during the week and then because they're on the weekend but most people will see it as their kind of part-time thing right so it's you're you're within a community of people who most of them feel it's a part-time thing yeah I mean, I think that's how my telesales job was in comparison with working in the libraries where, you know, a lot of people, it was their full-time job and full-time kind of career, future expectations. But for me, I mean, it, I worked there for years, so it yeah. should have been like a full-time career expectation. But I was always aware that I was trying to do other things outside of it. Which is not to say that people who work there full-time don't have vivid and complicated yeah, lives and inner lives yeah. and everything around them and all of that stuff. I'm not suggesting there's some kind of league table. But it's a strange position to be in sometimes when you, yeah, when you don't, when when you're sort of you feel like you're presenting a, a not real full picture of yourself in your yeah. workplace. I mean, I find it easier at this place because I mean I've been there since August, but I don't enjoy it, and I've decided to leave, and I'm going back at the beginning of February to a sh- like perfume shop I worked for before. Right. Because I tempted there over Christmas, it was much better. But I actually, when I'm at that perfume shop, I actually, I enjoy, like, I enjoy sales. I'm good at sales. I'm good at customer service, and the team there is really nice. So I find it easier to actually like give more when I'm there. Whereas at the car dealership, I end up presenting every hour, like looking right. at the clock. So. Right. I definitely look at it as just a, an much, inconvenience on my weekend. It's easier to sell something that you don't feel morally compromised about selling, <laughs> I always find. Although it's hard to find something that I don't feel morally compromised about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so thinking about, like, what do I know of you? What I know of you is I know that you have a distinctive sense of style, which I appreciate. Um, I know that you are a feminist. And so it's ironic that the first of the things I described, I, I came up with was a was a judging you on appearance <laughs> statement. And I know that you have a really excellent singing voice because we had like a karaoke section at one stand-up oh, yeah. tragedy night, and you you, you started that off with almost too good. Like you don't you know, if you start off karaoke at night with someone who's got an excellent singing voice, everyone else goes <laughs> I right. I don't know if I'll volunteer for that. <laughs> so I guess those are the 
those are the three most obvious things that I know about you, so I'm going to start in those places. I guess let's start with feminism, which is a complicated word for a lot of people, like a lot of people have feelings about it in lots of different ways. Um, What led you to defining yourself as a feminist? I don't know where it kind of started. Um, I've been quite lucky to be brought up by... Uh, her parents, specifically my mum, is so open and progressive. And I've always been brought up with like a really strong sense of equality, like whether it's you know sex, gender, race, sexuality, etc. But I th- it probably started for me when when I went to Stenning Grammar School, but then for sixth form I went to a separate sixth form college in Brighton, and I kind of made a whole new group of friends who were quite politically active. Like lots of them were in the Young Labour Party and just yeah loads I was kind of exposed to a lot of views that none of my friends had in secondary school and um, I guess I kind of I always knew that I was feminist but not I didn't actively know it I didn't put a term to it and then one of my friends Lauren she's very specifically defined herself as a feminist we'd have a lot of conversations about it and I remember there was this one girl in our English class who said I'm not a feminist I shave my legs (laughs) and then from then on yeah I started to become more aware of it and then probably was just a couple of years ago like second year into university that I started to get kind of yeah define myself as a feminist and I think that mainly came about just through like reading probably from social media and the articles people share clicking on me read them and I found that a lot of feminist points of view were very much right so there's there's feminist as a cultural concept which is seen through loads and loads of different filters so different people's points of view come up with different cliches for what a feminist is but there's also what what feminism actually is in my view as a man which is a complicated thing to say but is a serious feminisms right there's a number of different points of view it's not Definitely. one kind of unified voice do you what do you think about that where do you situate yourself within this complicated uh, uh, yeah, I guess a lot of people who ask me like oh why don't you just call yourself like a proletarian instead right right I've um, met those people. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, I would say, because obviously, feminism has such a negative image as well. Right. With like radicalised feminism and also just kind of general ignorance, which is what feminism is. But for me, feminism is just about achieving equality. Right. And so, so you haven't sort of come down on... Like, so I would say, and it's a weird... Again, like, I understand that there's lots of women who don't think the men can be feminists, and I, I have some sympathy with a lot of those positions, and I certainly wouldn't... I don't think it matters if I'm a feminist. Who the, who the yeah. fuck cares if I'm a feminist? I definitely think men can be feminists. Right, but, 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 but I would... Defi- as much as I can define myself as a feminist, because I can define myself, whether they like it or not, I, I sort of define myself as an intersectional feminist, right? Yeah. Have you reached a kind of a further cl- categorisation of your feminism? Or are you... I haven't. I haven't. Fair I, I've never kind of felt the need to really define it. Um, so I know obviously what feminism means to me and I never actually thought to search for a specific section of feminism that that fits into I mean the things that kind of the most disappointing section of feminism I find is like you know like turf feminism any feminism that includes kind of transphobia yeah. really gets to me but yeah I don't know I've never yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to stick. And there's no, there's no rules for life. Yeah. Um, I was just interested in where you were standing on that because I guess partly myself through social media, my understanding of feminism has become more complicated and deepened and stuff for the last sort of five years of, of hearing from voices that we haven't heard before. Maybe yeah. hearing sort of critical. So I studied feminist thought at university, yeah. but I didn't study so many of the the people who now I think are so important. Like I didn't start study bell hooks or. I didn't study Kimberly Crenshaw. I didn't understand. Like I, there was no intersectionality mentioned in my feminist sort of teaching. Yeah. I mean, not not to say there wasn't there wasn't issues that that we can say are intersectional discussed. There was black feminism was a bit discussed. The idea of race was mixed in with feminism in my teaching. But I never got. I, I didn't. 
I didn't have exposure to the stuff that I, I guess I'm exposed to now. So that's completely like led me to towards recategorizing myself because I didn't want to be mistaken for people who, you know, I don't yeah. agree with. But then there's an argument, why do we need to categorize ourselves at all? to a certain extent it doesn't matter to me what someone calls themselves yeah. it matters to me what their what their politics are behind it exactly yeah. I mean yeah I mean and is it a, a strange thing like so you're I guess you're a young person if I'm to sum you up in a ridiculous way and I feel like youth is like a battleground for people to con- convert you to any different yeah. viewpoint, right? So there's, and there's some people who are sort of saying, shut up, listen to your elders. And then there's some people saying, you know, if you quite legitimate critique, critiques of youth, like be aware of your elders, uh, yeah. like listen to their views. Um, rather than be told what to do by them, maybe still listen to their experiences, all of that stuff. I mean, how do you feel as a, as a are you active as a feminist, or are you, where, are you, where are you at with that stuff? I wouldn't classify myself active in a wider sense. I would classify myself active in a personal sense, like within my own community and network. Right. For instance, specifically social media, because I am such a product of my generation of new media. And obviously I want to be a journalist, so it's where I spend a lot of my time. Definitely with friends and acquaintances. But it's it's hard to strike a balance between when you know you're right, but obviously you can't ever know if you think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And you have, so I have friends, you know, people who I consider friends, putting across very, like, anti-feminist views. I have a particular friend who's very keen on the concept of misandry and like sharing a lot of articles about the injustice of how women always get hired over men these days because obviously everyone's because it's just political correctness gone mad and within that like yeah so within people I'm connected with I do try and talk to them in a rational way without it's hard to strike a balance between putting your viewpoint across and not getting angry because obviously I feel like I don't have a right to educate them in my views but I feel like I really want to I don't see I mean there's no no one's got a right I guess to educate people with their, about their views but there's there's absolutely no we've all got a right to say what the hell we like yeah and uh, you have a right to argue with your friends yeah I mean Jesus I, I, I don't think I'd have any friendships if I didn't didn't argue with no. people. I wasn't allowed to argue with people anyway. Definitely not. And then in terms of myself as a writer, I mean, I started off very much. I wanted to be a fashion journalist from like the age of thirteen. I was like, I'll be editor of Vogue. That's the dream. A couple of years ago, I did kind of decide I wanted to go probably more into lifestyle of journalism. Maybe go into feminist writing right. if I feel like I've kind of learned enough and have enough to say on the subject in a few years' time. So, through kind of university projects and blogs I've maintained, I've also, it's like I've always had a mix of kind of aggregated feminist content that I've shared and also articles that I've written myself. I feel like branding myself as active is almost giving myself too much credit. I, yeah. don't, I don't feel like I'm doing that much to kind of further the cause of feminism. Fair enough. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, that. I mean, yeah, that's a great answer, though. And and I mean, so I guess journalism ties in with two of the the kind of areas that I think of when I think of you, right? In, the, like the sense of style seems, seems to tie in with the idea of you being interested originally in being involved with doing both yeah. and stuff like that. And then there's feminism, which is sounds like that's the kind of new direction. Although it doesn't even have to be a new direction. I mean, there's no, there's no. I don't think there's any contradiction between feminist writing and fashion writing. No, exactly. Feminist fashion writing is fine, right? Everyone likes fashion. I like fashion. There's no gender. There doesn't have to be a gender specificity. 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 Yeah. I feel like there should be some more syllables in the word. But anyway, specificness. Let's say about enjoyment of the way we look. Yeah. The way we look, rather than the way insisting somebody else looks a certain way. I feel like there's an area of. I feel like 
like with people being anti-selfies, for example, I feel like there's a whole area of, of kind of misogyny that comes through like telling people that they shouldn't like the way they look. Absolutely. And that affects men too. I feel like both genders get affected by that, that ridiculousness. Yeah. I, I get a bit of like personal guilt about that sometimes, where because I, I I very much pride myself on not judging people and taking into consideration, and I do find myself, you know, getting if I, for instance, one girl I used to work with, and she continuously sends these Snapchats of her posing, and I find myself I'm like, oh, oh. And then I have to like, take a step back and be like, no, who am I to judge her for that? I mean, it's, it always comes from like a an original dislike of her, but then <laughs> just because we didn't get on. Yeah. But even when even when I don't get on with someone, and then I find myself picking up on that point, like for instance, oh, they take too many selfies or they think too much of themselves. We really have to take a step back there. Right. No, no, me no, too. It's con- contradiction of my views. Me too. I think that, but that, I think that's natural. Like we've all in, we've all kind of absorbed the messages within culture, right? So when we see anybody, we can't get away to a certain extent with these messages that culture's given us. But it's just about learning how to, uh, like you say, be aware of them, checking our privileges, subverting yeah, exactly. our messages, right? Um, and I've definitely found that. Like I'm trying to take more selfies. I'm trying to have some. I'm trying to have some like more self-love, if you like, in my life. But it, but I think one of the things that you, when you see sort of the classic selfie, which I don't even think exists that much, like what you're talking about, like um, people replicating poses that you might see created in magazines. When I see those, sometimes I feel like yeah, like those kind of feelings that you're feeling about. But then I sort of think. On one level, it's also sad because people are—they're not finding what works for them. They're not—they're not feeling yeah. like showing themselves. They're showing the image that the media wants to to exactly. show each other. But then ultimately, it is their right to do whatever the fuck they like, and it's—it's should, it's not for yeah. me to judge. And if that makes them feel better under capitalism and patriarchy in one moment, then fine. You know, why shouldn't they feel better for one moment? Right? Exactly. Like, I feel like I should stop. I'm terrible for chastising my uh, 17-year-old sister for constantly pouting at her reflection, like in any surface. I was like, what are you doing? I'm like, actually, it makes her happy to check her appearance. Right. And it validates her. Well, it's an, under- really it's an understandable strategy, right, isn't it? Like, I feel like if we had a better society, then people would pout less, but you can't expect people to pout less considering the society we have. Exactly. <laughs> So when did writing first come in uh, to your life? Um, I mean, I was always really into reading from, from like the age of six. I would never be without a bit. And I started off with kind of Alice in Wonderland and The Hobbit with the two. I started with two books and I started off with. And I would always write, kind of do a bit of creative writing short stories complete with original illustrations as a child yes I've always been creative and I've always enjoyed reading writing and art and performance but I've also got quite a practical mind in some senses I've always liked this idea of a career I am the kind of person who enjoys a nine to five you know the busier I am the happier I am Right. And I wanted to find some sort of way that, even at the age of 12, when I decided I wanted to do journalism, I think I was thinking to myself, how can I write and have some sort of like consistency within my life and security? So did that kind of conclusion that you came to, did that come from... Because there's two places that can come from. It can either come from having a family that, and a school system around you that is preparing you to, be, to have a career. Yeah. Um, can come from having like a lack of security within your yeah. childhood and going, oh, I need to have something stable in the future. I want to have a different model to my parents' model. I mean, yeah. where did it come from? Well, it's weird because I've, I've grown up with two very opposite models. So my parents split up when I was six or seven. Like, my mum is... 
she started off like she had a performing arts degree and she was on the West End for a bit and then she decided she wanted to go into business. But but when she had us, she was a stay-at-home mum until the past couple of years where she's kind of restudied and now she's a psychotherapist. So she was very much at home, there was, there was kind of like a lot of freedom with her time. Whereas my dad is very much the kind of business worker, like goes to the office at six in the morning, comes back at seven. You know, it, succeeding and working hard is really important. And I very much admire him for kind of how he's done. So that was always a big factor. Like, well, that's a, that's a good thing to do. Okay. It's to succeed. But also, be happy. Be happy. Well, it, yeah, those, those two goals aren't always as easy to mesh, I yes. fear. The older I get, the, the less I have any idea what success really means. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I sometimes suspect success might be happiness, and that might be the best success you can get. Um, but, yeah. I still have ambitions. I mean, I'm not a classic career, like in the conventional sense, person. But I'm. I'd love to be a famous playwright. I'd love to be a, like a. I mean, not because fame in itself is the thing. It's like recognition is important. Getting an audience is important. But why should I be those things when so many people don't have any any of the opportunities that I've had and so it's, it becomes more and more complicated it was nice and I feel like when I was and this is a, a patronising and a ridiculous thing to say but when, I think when I was your age it seemed much simpler even though I thought that I was so complex in thinking and now I reckon in 20 years time I look back at now and go oh god everything was so much simpler then yeah um, I, I feel very happy now I feel, yeah, I feel like for me to I feel quite lucky in the fact that I know for me to be happy what I need for me to be happy is quite simple to <coughs> And, yeah, and I do think that comes from. First of all, I mean, because although my parents are very different, my dad is happy in his kind of you know manic career, getting up the ladder, always busy uh, type attitude, and my mum's very happy in her slightly more free. I mean, now she doesn't have that free because she's you know doing her masters whilst working ridiculous hours. But yeah, I just both my parents have managed to find happiness. Yeah, I mean, I think happiness is a thing you achieve at different moments in life. Anyway, I feel like you get happy years. Yeah, like my experience so far at 33 is you get happy years. Yeah, you get sad years. Yeah, years where both are really, really big memories. Like, yeah. And when did you get interested in fashion and 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 like? Because you, you've got like distinctive, like you, you know, a distinctive look. Yeah. I think, interestingly, when you went, said Alice in Wonderland, I think Alice in Wonderland is kind of an interesting reference point for people because they, they, they don't know what we're talking about. But I think, like, there's a sort of, I don't know, if I was to sort of like talk about the influences I see from the outside of your look, I think like sort of steampunky, kind of like punky. Uh, gothy sort of all of those sort of things but also quite warm colours like rather than dark colours so yeah. yeah I think my interest in style first came I mean at school I was always the girl who would wear I had you know cool high waisted skirt and slightly heeled brogues and knee socks and so I'd have a point of difference to my look. I mean actually it started when when I was about 12 I very much went through my goth phase and I would wear, I was quite lucky because my mum was very friendly and I could wear whatever I wanted. So I used to go to parties, you know, wearing velvet crop tops with black lace called web sleeves wow. black lipstick and choker so I always had that kind of freedom of expression and I think I liked being, I liked what, the way I looked being a point of difference and then that kind of, yeah, developed when I was older to me, you know, picking up Vogue and I decided style would be my thing and fashion and I was fashion. My school uniform was always slightly different to get on wearing too much nail polish. But I, I liked it, I saw it as a big part of my identity. And was that something that made you, like how did your peers feel about that? It was a mixture. Uh, my, amongst my 
kind of friendship group, which was quite large. And it was, yeah, it was definitely seen as a cool, cool thing to do. And then there was a group of kids. I remember walking past one, like one guy, I'll never forget, so he was strutting along. He's like, oh, it's not a fucking fashion show. And I was just thinking, that's the greatest compliment. Makes all the greatest insult. Uh, but I used to get, I think around the year 10 time, I wore a high-waisted skirt. No one was wearing high-waisted skirts in school yet, but they were cool in the fashion world. I used to get some boys saying to me, why are you wearing a high-waisted skirt? Are you a lesbian? Because obviously the correlation between high-waisted skirts and lesbians is obvious. I have ambitions to have a distinctive t- sense of fashion myself, but it's something that I feel like I've been achieving more in the last, not necessarily today, but more in the last sort of like five years than I did when I was at school. But I, I certainly was trying uh, yeah. from a very early age to, to, to be different, I guess. It wasn't something that was greeted with very much uh, love by my peer group. And sometimes I wonder if I'd have dressed differently if my life might have been easier. There were lots of reasons I was being bullied, but that was an extra thing that singled me out. And as the bullying went on, it became like a, a point of like resistance to, yeah. to, to look different, to not, not, not change for them. Yeah, yeah and, and it's, it's a funny thing, because like, there were groups that I could have dressed differently to fit, but I didn't do that. I dressed yeah. my own differently which didn't allied me with any group. I mean, did you, did your, the rest of your group, were you, were you all similarly dressed or were you no, individual standing out? I kind of had two different large groups of friends. Like, the way I saw it in my secondary school, there were probably about four groups and two of them, which I kind of floated between because I had friends in both. One of them was probably the slightly more individual more musicians and uh, they would all kind of smoke after school behind the bus shelter and one of those very much traditional but there was there's nothing about my style that kind of fit into either group it's definitely individual but I never kind of faced adversity from it because the, the comments I did hear of this select group are Actually, I mean, guiltily now, I would definitely group my team kind of below myself. You know, they right. were the chavs, which I right. hate. I hate that term. But that was... Yeah, you used inverted commas with the, your like, fingers just yeah. to, to tell the audience. That was very much the kind of distinction we made in secondary school. Right. So it was yeah. always very accepted. Yeah, that's a, your generational word. Like there were words that I would have used at school that were, were like chavs, yeah. uh, which I also hate that word too. And I, but those were complicated words for me growing up because even though I understand now that they're that they're words that demark class prejudice, yeah. at the time it was people of the same class who were calling them those things. Exactly. And those were the people who were oppressing me in my everyday life those were the people who would bully me and spit at me and treat me like I was yeah. other How, I mean so you used to feel that way but you've changed your mind or you've changed your vocabulary like what what led you to that I guess because I mean your voice makes you sound like you might be quite privileged yeah. which is not to say you are because accents can be deceiving um, I mean yeah I am very privileged I was very lucky to be kind of brought up never wanting for anything but my voice was very much a choice like I chose two things in primary school one was my handwriting one was my voice because in year three we had this French girl who just moved over and she had this fantastic leafy handwriting and I was like clearly that that's a great thing to have so I made the choice to have a leafy handwriting and obviously now it's natural for me and I think I made the choice kind of at the end of primary school, beginning of secondary school, where I did I did always speak properly, as a lot of people say. Um, I again that was a kind of point of difference part of my identity and I very much chose to like own in on that. Like my accent is quite different to that of my sisters. They probably like drop a few more consonants than I do. That's an interesting thing to do so early on in life is to make those decisions. I mean, useful decisions, right? Those decisions will mean that you 
get more from life um, and it's not fair that that is the case but definitely intelligent strategies for dealing with with the world so your sense of like class I guess has developed and changed from when you would have thought lesser of people at school I I mean was there any reasons for that or is that just reading yeah I think just reading and just kind of natural growth and intelligence hopefully I think at that time yeah, when using the term chav, I'd never think of it specifically as something to do with class. But it very much was. It really was. It was, you know, I saw those people dressed a certain way, spoke a certain way. And, like, similar with you, they were the people who would always make comments to me or who were mean or unnecessary or would trip you up or would be mean to my friends. So they were the natural kind of enemy. And I think, I don't think, again, I don't think it was kind of a conscious change of thought. Right. Where I suddenly thought, I was actually, you know, those kind of views were almost ignorantly classist. Instead, it's, yeah, instead I have kind of actively realised that using the word chav is a horrible thing to do. And I feel like in schools as well worst things that happen is it happens through uh, kind of learning ability so lots of those kind of children who would be meaner to me in the chat group they were a lot of them were in kind of assisted learning and it wasn't because like that doesn't bear any kind of it doesn't mean that they were Chavs or me too because they were assisted learning but I think it starts out as like a friendship group and then when, once you're a kid when you're in one group you define them as one you lump them all together yeah. It's, yeah, well I think we're encouraged to lump people together right yeah. all of our media tells us to lump people together that's like the standard narrative I mean it's definitely true I mean I don't know about assisted learning or the kind of um, intelligence is a complicated thing I think there's intelligences I think there's different people who are encouraged to have a good relationship with school and people who are not and exactly. so there's, there's, there's very much a, a biases coming all over the place but, but definitely the, the people who bullied me at school um, a lot of those people will not have done like as well financially in life as me will not have the same privileges that I have and I know a lot of people who are bullied who kind of say this kind of sneering thing of like ha they're all in prison and fucked up now and look at me right but fuck those people because what that teaches me that experience teaches me is that the people who bullied me were marginalised people who needed help exactly like they had I had a fucked up family life they had fucked up family lives but why is, is it that I have not been helped back by that why has that not made me be in the situations that they were in you know like looking at the root causes of what make people the way they are rather than the kind of the things we're told which is it's because they're like that's what they're not yeah I mean and I guess it's funny because it's like we can't help those judgment areas either like I because I don't know you that well all I can talk to you about in this conversation is almost things that I've judged about you from afar just making it kind of an interesting (laughs) one for me I'm sort of trying to work out how like where my prejudices are here in in like whoever's listening can psychologically uh, evaluate that um, and no doubt I talk too much in a discussion about feminism which is something I always feel like I shouldn't talk too much in but I always find the words tumble out of my mouth yeah. um, the, other, the other sort of thing I know of you is that you've got a great voice I mean have you always are you a singer or is that just a, an accidental coincidence and you only sing at karaoke no, it's, I'm definitely a singer. Um, like I mentioned before, my mum did a performing arts degree and she was on the West End for a bit touring like Starlight Express. She did that for a couple of years and um, didn't end up pursuing it after a couple of years instead. Yeah, she went into kind of business management and then came to stay at her mum. But as children, we were very much brought up and quite a musical environment. We were, I mean, I was very lucky to be taken because I'm only from you know, around Brighton. It's quite easy to get into London, but I was taken to kind of Western shows or kind of local musicals. 
fairly often and um, I'd always be involved in the local album Like my mum would always often be directing shows or featuring in them and me and my sisters would always be in them and I had singing lessons from the age of 11 and I like, started clarinet when I was quite young, I think maybe 10. So, I've kind of been brought up very musical and it's something I absolutely love. Yeah. I do it now just kind of at university. I do choir every week and musical theatre. We're going to put on cabaret in April, which would be great. And obviously, any chance for karaoke. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons, I guess, why stand-up tragedy sort of fitted with what, what you are about, because you're interested in writing, you're interested in politics and feminism, and you're interested in, like, uh, yeah, singing and stuff. Yeah. So it kind of all hit, hit a lot of your boxes. I mean, are you interested in, like, is that, are those kind of things, things you feel like you'll, you'll do in the future? Definitely always as a hobby. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong, if someone... Somebody came up to me and was like, "Could I be a part on a on a Western stage?" I would, I would graciously accept. Um, but I, I, yeah, I never stop singing as a hobby. Yeah, and we record. I should say we're recording this in uh, in the Phoenix. Uh, which is in Oxford Circus, which is kind of a venue itself, so it kind of is slightly appropriate. But that's what the background sound is, <laughs> and the background sound is has certainly in- increased since we started the conversation. Yeah. You're a student currently. Yeah. And it's always been a, a quite a political thing in a way to be a student. University is a place where privilege is bestowed and encouraged and created and uh, formalised. It's also a place where people think about radical ideas in, in, and, are, and are allowed to think yeah. for a time when you're not allowed that much in your life. Lots of people never get that opportunity. But it's also, over the last few years, become a, a, a political thing to be a, a woman and a student, I feel like. There is a lot more feminism happening in universities. There's also a hell of a lot more, my understanding, and it could be wrong, and it might not be your experience, misogyny happening in universities. In that There's a lot more kind of lad culture yeah. being re-allowed. There was a bit where it wasn't allowed as much and now it's become vogue again. Has that been your experience? What do you think about that stuff? Um, it hasn't in my university environment, but again, massively stereotyping here. The campus I'm on is a media and arts campus. And the main courses are kind of you know, like radio arts and music and the there's only one bar there that people that kind of people regularly go to. And I feel like any experience of land culture has pretty much always happened to me on an eye channel. Right. Um, so on, and never happened to me on my campus, luckily. But yeah, I've, for me they're all yeah, all my experience of land culture has definitely been at clubs, at bars, any place in the Right. And it, I mean, it, I guess in my bubble at university, and this is, again, a bubble like, like you're talking about, and in my friendship group now, it feels like, to a certain extent, some of the battles have been won. There's a lot more, like, people are friends across genders, which was not as common at all in the past, yeah. like, to have good, close friendships, which aren't, like, fucked up uh, by the fact that people are different genders. That's that's not always available. That's not always how it's worked. Yeah. Um, so it felt like things were moving forward a bit. It doesn't feel like that to me now when I look at culture. It feels like... Even if we were moving forward, we've got such a backlash now that it's not clear where we've actually ended up. So yeah. I'm, I'm, until the smoke settles, until I see who's going to win now, I, I wouldn't even like to say we did move forward because it's not been, it's not been, it's not become something normal. It's still, it's still, we're still fighting against these things. Um, and I say we, but but you're on the the, the sharp edge of that wedge. I think. What do you think about the images of students in the media? In the, in the, in the in like what people's attitude towards students are? How do you find it as a student? As a student, kind of 
misguided in some respects. In terms of lounge culture, I mean, I'm actually doing my final project on this now. Ah, cool. Um, on pages like Uniland and the Land Bible Facebook pages because amongst my kind of Facebook social network the Land Bible must be I mean I haven't actually sat down working out but I'm pretty sure the Land Bible is the most liked page amongst my friends wow yeah and I know and you know most of my friends I mean I don't, I don't spend too much time going through my Facebook and calling people who I kind of used to be friends with but have no need to kind of know anything about them now and have no need to follow them on social media but I'm pretty sure that most a high high percentage of my Facebook friends are people who I do actually consider friends or people who I could have a conversation with and share their viewpoint of and hopefully and most of them I do hopefully consider quite progressive and forward thinking and yet most of them like the land right it's funny that I, I don't, I mean, not being a student, not being of your generation, I am constantly surprised to see like pictures from from Unilad or the Lad Bible being shared by really um, surprising people. Um, because sometimes the actual pictures aren't objectionable. They're actually yeah, quite exactly. a funny point. And then that goes viral and people are sharing it without knowing that they're slightly endorsing uni lad they're just going that's a funny joke that is right exactly um, and it you know some of those jokes are funny and right but they are the minority and yeah what is uni lad and lad um, culture for you what's your experience of that my experience of lad culture as I said it mainly comes through it's weird I, I feel like I'm sounding like a bit of a broken record and very much that's probably an my internet generation, <laughs> which is so. But yeah, I guess most of my life and information does come from my social network and social media. But my strongest experience of lad culture and misogyny, whether it was students or what I would call adults, it does come through kind of things shared on social media. Or you'll see articles that they've liked that. I do think a lot of it is misguided. Like you said, there's a few people where you wouldn't expect sharing posts that are unnecessarily offensive in any way, but then do link back to this land Bible community. And if I'm terrible for kind of torturing myself by looking at comments and just getting kind of more and more obsessed. So the kind of comments and these posts perpetuate and I, I mean, I don't comment back or get involved, but I do look at it. And I don't think, I don't know if it's that people are not aware that they're sharing something from a community with slightly archaic sexist views, or whether they just don't care. Right. Right. I mean, I guess probably we're all guilty of, at some point or another, pressing share without working out where that goes back to and that's I mean that's always something I sort of sometimes think about like you know sharing like those pictures of the houses of commons at different times like saying that you know it was proved that some of the pictures that everyone shares of the politicians not being there for votes were, were not true but everybody including me were sharing some of those thinking yeah. that and I, I think that's because they spoke to a, a real political point underneath that scam yeah but that and that's why people were sharing it but it doesn't mean that it's good to share lies ever yeah uh, like even if you agree with them a few kind of people who especially a few kind of specific girls who went to school with who shared the first posts that focus on animal cruelty which I know which is a great fantastic social media tactic by them because they'll create some sort of meme or something that focuses on don't let this dog die or animal cruelty is wrong and they'll share that right. and it comes from Britain first right I mean it's, it's like, yeah how could you not be aware of what you're sharing I mean these in, these media manipulation tactics are like they're, they're running through my mind at the moment because it's, it's the day when Sun banning Maywell page three has become clearly a, a, another scam of them getting a lot more people listening to them and I 
there's arguments on both sides of No More Page Free. I know you're you're in the No More Page Free camp, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm in the critical of Page Free, but not No More Page Free yeah. camp. I'm not in uh, like I don't like the way that this gets separated into camps. Anyway, I feel like I have a lot of, in common with a lot of people who support No More Page Free, and I'm not saying everybody in that camp, campaign or who supports that is wrong or coming from a bad place. But definitely, we can all agree that this is a manipulation tactic done by the sun to get hits, you know, and people were tricked into into building up that publicity for the sun, including the name of Page Three campaign who wanted to, who specifically were trying to get rid of it. So it's a weird media landscape that you are entering into as a potential journalist. Definitely. And as a woman, right? Who you're, you're reading the comments now, but they're not made about you. Yeah. Like, how do you feel about that element of going into like so feminism is, is a it's a boom journalism area in that yeah. there's a lot of people getting paid money to write feminist content which in itself can be criticised for people within the feminist movement like is it right to make money out of po- politics sometimes people feel it isn't yeah. there's a lot of debate around that I'm not getting into that it's, so it's, it's, a, it's definitely an area that's canny you can make money in but it's also an area where where there's a lot of abuse, a lot of horrible, scary yeah, things going on. I've already experienced from something so simple as, you know, for a university project who ran a live news site, and I did a very kind of simple at the University of Westminster. I believe there has been a feminist society for the past few years, but it has not really. It's been very inactive. Um, and basically this past year, you know, a couple of girls have set it up again. So I, I interviewed them about it and I merely tweeted a link to my interview, which was quite a straightforward interview. It wasn't kind of people it was barely putting across anything from just kind of asking, what are you doing? Why are you starting up again? And um, I used, I can't remember what hashtags I used, but one of them was obviously feminism and I got at least five tweets back saying feminism isn't real and various other things right and that's the I mean that's the nicest of the tweets you're going to get being a public female feminist I think male feminists some of who I think are feminists some of who I think aren't uh, in my in my view of feminism but regardless they get an easier time than women when they speak about feminism than women yeah. uh, another example of how men are disproportionately privileged over women but you must be like aware of how potentially charged how dangerous this thing can actually be now yeah. to be a public figure saying sensible reasonable uncontroversial views to me from my point of view obviously not from the people who are enraged um it doesn't it's not something that kind of scares or bothers me i like to think i have a very thick yeah good yeah i mean good i mean i'm scared shitless of it i mean i've got a little bit and I, i as i say i'm a man and i'm I'm fairly privileged. Um, I occasionally talk about feminist things and I'm going to be making a feminist show this year in Edinburgh. So I know that I'm going to get a lot of abuse from both sides, from people, from feminists too. Um, their abuse, I'm, I do not doubt, will be much more justified and reasonable, even the most horrible of it. But, but, but I'm not going to get anywhere near as bad a and experience as a woman would in my position but I'm scared shitless of it having been bullied at school having had like I'm scared of conflict yeah. and judgement and all of these things that come with it so I'm really pleased I'm not trying to make you scared no, no. I'm pleased that you sort of have that outlook I hope yeah. you no, I remember when keep it I think it was in like year four something like that and I remember reading a, we were reading a book and obviously got bullied in the story but I'll never forget my teacher saying oh everyone gets bullied at some point in their lives and I remember thinking oh god that's awful I don't want to get bullied I'm going to make sure I don't get bullied but I've never been bullied as far as I'm aware well, and I wonder if that, and I, I think that's probably something to do with it's, it's obviously more of a conscious thing part of it is luck and circumstance but probably most of it is to do with me consciously thinking that 
I'm not sure about that. I hope you're right for you. I, yeah. I, I, do, I do think that if you've not been bullied, the best way to get an idea of what it might feel like is to be a feminist journalist. I, I don't know. I think getting bullied is about loads of different things. Sometimes things you have a control over, sometimes not. So a lot of bullying is along racial or gender or sexual orientation lines. And you haven't got any of those pro- like problems in inverted commas. And nor in theory do I, although I was seen as non-male, non, 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 non-straight by my peers at times, and seen as other as being English in, in ways, but had loads of privileges. But I definitely think that part of why I got bullied, or why I got bullied maybe so extremely, was because I came already damaged, like I was having a hard time at home, and so that made me the right person to prod. Like my 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 reaction would be much more entertaining than someone who wasn't already fucked up. Yeah. Like if you try and fuck with someone, sounds like a little bit like yourself, who's already got quite good self-esteem and a sense of being able to express yourself within a safe boundaries and all of these things. If you've got that, you're less fun to bully. Yeah. But I don't think it means that you. I don't think that strength of mind alone will keep you safe. From no, that. not strength. I mean, but it's, but it's cool that you feel like you haven't been bullied yet. And I guess that's a strong position to go into if yeah. you've reached adulthood. Because I think half the problem for people who are bullied is you're bullied in your childhood when you aren't, you've got no sense of self fully yet. And so it becomes part of your self of se- sense of self. Yeah. Whereas I guess you've got a sense of self that exists now. You can take that forwards and push yeah, fuckers exactly. away with it. Is there anything... So all of my questions, all of my attempts to get better at painting with you today have come from my very basic, judgmental views of you. Is there anything I'm, I'm missing that's massive that I, I'm missing because I don't know enough about you? I don't know. It's quite hard to define what's Yeah, it changes day by day. Changes. Day. I'm yeah. I'm a different person. Like I listen back to old episodes, and I'm a completely different person than I was then. So uh, I would have a completely different conversation. But that said, I don't I don't know if I'm missing. I always find like I'm always worried that I'm gonna sort of like in three weeks' time on Facebook, if you're gonna post something, I'm gonna go, oh my god, that was such an amazing part of her life. <laughs> Should have asked about. But yeah. That in itself is a strange question to be asked. Yeah, it is. I don't know. No. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the last uh, question that I ask people is do you have anything to plug? Hire me. Hire you. (laughs) Yeah, as a. for for journalism internships? Yeah, I mean, obviously. Like I said, I've been doing my degree and internships alongside it, mainly in fashion journalism. But just, yeah, for internships, just any opportunity to get experience and to write and not only to kind of boost up my CV, but to actually gain a further understanding of the industry. I mean, I feel like when I, I don't, I'm comfortable when talking about my political views, but I'm not necessarily 100% assured because although I'm assured of myself, I don't feel like I'm learned enough yet to to tell me what they got to even, like we were discussing earlier, kind of categorise myself as to which particular strand of feminism I identify with. Oh, I, I certainly haven't decided when I was, yeah. what, are you 21? 21, yeah. So, any, any experience, any opportunities, I like Well, that's really cool. And is there anywhere people can find your work that you do up to now? Like, just check you out and see what you do. Follow me on Twitter at DarcyTF, which is D A R C I E T F. And I occasionally post, yeah, but when I do do work, I will post links to it. It's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you. I feel like 
I fear I've, 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 I've talked too much, but I do feel I have learned at least stuff from you, so I've, I've kind of been talking too much. Yes. Uh, it's, it's always a strange kind of, yeah, doing conversations, I always am trying to talk enough to make the other person feel comfortable it's a conversation yeah if anyone listening ever wants to do an analysis of how much I talk and how much my guests talk and if that changes in different genders and different circumstances I'd be really interested to see that data because I'm trying to work it out as a human being and it's very hard to do data analysis of a conversation you have whilst you're having it so sorry if I've talked over you too much I'm worried that as my as my show goes on, it's just going to become me, me, more and more me being paranoid every time that I'm uh, talking too much. I guess that's a good thing in some ways, but probably a boring thing for the audience. So let's hope it doesn't go. It's been a pleasure anyway. The last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Okay, goodbye, audience. Bye, everyone. If you want to help me to keep on making episodes of getting better acquainted and releasing them for free then please consider donating a little bit of money to the cause if you go over to www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk you'll see there on the soundcloud page a donate now button and that button if you click it takes you to a paypal link where you can choose how much you can afford to give to me at this moment in time i'm also very much looking out for work myself so as well as hiring Darcy and giving her jobs to do. I could really do with people giving me jobs to do. I can do lots of things. Go over to www.davepickeringstoryteller.co.uk to get an idea of the kind of things that I can do for you. If you are a theatre or a university and you'd be interested in hiring me to do my show, What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity. I can deliver an hour of mansplaining, a little bit like some of this episode in some ways. But I'm talking to men. It's aimed at men, although all genders are welcome and all genders, I think, will get something from the show. You can see that show on the 18th of February at the Dog Star in Brixton as part of a double bill with the comedian Jambi McGrath's show A Last Dance with My Father. So it's my show followed by her show. It's pay what you like. Doors open at 7.30. My show is at 8 o'clock. Jambi's show is at 9.15. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like it on Facebook www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk is one place you can find it and remember there are lots of ways to get better acquainted